Welcome to Crossroads, the broadcast ministry of Montgomery's First Baptist Church, where you can discover God's personal plan and power to conquer your problems through Jesus Christ. Join us now as God's Word heals, encourages, and enlightens your spiritual life. Come with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and in verse 10, we'll start in a moment. It may help to find this piece of paper entitled, Seasons Change, but the Savior is the same. That's the great truth. That's what I want you to have echoing in your hearts. The seasons change, but the Savior is the same. I heard about this couple, and they were celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary. They'd come to the fellowship hall to have their party, and somebody said, what's the secret sauce to being married 60 years? And they thought about it for a moment, and the husband said, well, love and respect is the foundation, plus we've enjoyed traveling together. And he said, for instance, on our 25th wedding anniversary, I took my wife to Beijing, China, and everybody lightly, politely applauded. And then somebody said, what did you do on your 50th anniversary? He said, I went back and picked her up. (laughs) Well, my point is, my point is sometimes we love each other, and other times we only tolerate each other. I know marriages like that. People function about like roommates. They don't really love each other. They don't share life. They just kind of tolerate each other. I know churches like that. You know, a lot of surface good, but there's no depth. They don't really love each other. They tolerate each other. And I say that with some authority. I have a fabulous marriage. I'm a wolf who married a fox. And I've been married to Mary Ruth for over 40 years, and the depth and the richness of our relationship is unparalleled. I've also been a member of eight different churches across the country. They vary from the Arnott Baptist Church, where I pastored when I was 21, to the First Baptist Church of Dallas, which was the largest Protestant church in America. And I've been a part of this church for 31 years. But I'm here to tell you that God has given us something special here. And it's a church of depth, maturity. We don't just entertain people. We equip the saints to do the work of ministry. We live out the great commandment and the great commission. We do what they sang. We carry the light. That's what makes this a very special family of faith. And as I approach retirement, I just want you to know that nothing has changed. Really, nothing has changed. Uh, I'm going to take on some different schedules and responsibilities, but Jesus is the same. We learn in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, our Jesus and our mission are unchanging, but the seasons will always change. We know that hot summer is going to give way to fall, maybe one day here in Alabama. It's taking its time. And then winter will come, and spring and summer. But I can assure you that as the seasons change, our Savior is the same, our purpose is the same, and we have our greatest days yet ahead. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand from Philippians chapter 3, from the call of God to Paul, his call to all. Would you make this note? Share God's call to Paul and press on. Paul had this powerful word that God put upon his heart, and I want to share it with you today. It's simply press on, press on. Paul was about to have a season's change. He was writing this approximately A.D. 61. 
He had traveled arduously to Rome, and there in Rome he was in a prison, so to speak. He was chained to a guard. He anticipated the executioner coming because it would take an axe to steal his tongue. He was going to tell about Jesus no matter what it cost him. So he sensed that the season was changing, and yet God was calling him to simply press on. Maybe somebody here needs to hear that word today. Maybe you are near quitting. Maybe you're feeling down. Perhaps somebody has done you wrong. Maybe you feel like you're exhausted, you're out of energy, you're out of emotional gas, and you're right on the verge of giving in and giving up. Well, I want God to speak to your heart through His servant today, through His living Word today, and hear that Word to press on. Maybe you've lost your fire, and you're off of God's course. Press on. Come back home. Press on. Very recently, a young lady came to me that I've known for a long time, and she'd kind of gone off my radar. And she explained, Pastor Jay, um, you, you know how active I was at church? You know how much I love the Lord Jesus? And then there was a death in our family, and my parents got a divorce. Went off to college. I connected to the wrong crowd. I took a detour that was dirty and deep and dangerous. And finally, I found some Jesus-loving young people who got me back into God's Word, back into God's people. And she said, I I'm back. I'm back on track. She just hugged me. Maybe that's where you are today. And you need to hear God calling you back to press on. Well, let's plunge into God's living Word right now. From Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul declares that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Dear Father, right now you summon us to come to full attention. Right now, Father, you invite us into your intimate presence. May we set aside every distraction. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to receive the deposit of your transforming truth from your spirit. Get me out of the way and speak loudly today. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me quickly show you four ways to press on. Number one, we press on through recollection, through recollection. Paul started his letter to the Philippians by saying, I thank God every time I remember you. And then earlier in the chapter, chapter 3, Paul recalls his journey and who he is. You see, it's so important that we learn from the past. Otherwise, you'll be condemned to repeat it. I heard a story about this man named Aristotle, and, and uh, he one day went to the doctor's office, and he had this odd problem. He had two burned ears. 
And the doctor said, Aristotle, what happened to you? He said, Doc, it was crazy. I was ironing my shirt, preparing to go to work, and the phone rang, and somehow I got distracted, and instead of picking up my phone, I picked up the iron and burnt my ear. <laughs> and the doc said, I am so sorry, but what happened to your other ear? He said, they called back. <laughs> now, some people don't learn. My dad used to say it like this. He said, J-Boy? The second kick of a mule has no educational value. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yet some people repeat their mistakes over and over and over again. They get out on the detour in the dirty ditch, and they can't seem to pull out. They just keep making one bad, self-defeating decision after the other. There's a better way. There's the Jesus way. So you should learn from your mistakes. You should learn from your past. As a matter of fact, that's why we have birthdays and anniversaries. That's why the Scripture even prescribes that we recall the past. Look on your worksheet. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. And the rest of Psalm 78 is a recitation of how God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. They crossed the Red Sea, and He took care of His family. Now, friends, it's important that you have these Ebenezers of recollection in your life. That's why we're going to pause for just a moment and think about all that God has done. And I've been thinking intensely about uh, my time here. I came here in 1981, and it was so interesting. Uh, Dale Huff invited me to come aboard, and we just had this splendid time. I fell in love with this church, and it was such a wonderful experience to be part of this team. I went off to Alexandria, Virginia. At age 29, I was the youngest pastor in the history of that church, and God poured revival upon us. One, one year, we had 450 new members. It was just amazing. People were coming from all over the D.C. area. We had congressmen and people at the Pentagon. It was an amazing place. And I couldn't imagine myself leaving until I got a call from a man named Boyd Christenberry. I'll never forget it. It was 11 p.m. on March the 11th, 1991. And he said, Jay, there are 19 members on this pulpit committee. We've just taken a secret ballot vote, and your name is on every one. We think God is telling us something. Would you consider coming back? Well, that was not on my radar. I mean, uh, we were just having this explosive revival. To come back to Montgomery from D.C. didn't make sense. I kind of had Potomac fever. Potomac fever is when you think the center of the universe is Washington, D.C. And yet I did uh, a three-day fast. I pulled aside, and I spent eight hours down in the bottom of the basement of the Washington Cathedral. And do you know who's buried in the basement of the Washington Cathedral? Helen Keller, a lady from Alabama. I didn't realize it until I got down there with my Bible and a yellow legal pad, and God began to pour out His Spirit and His direction in my heart. And I could see myself in my sanctified imagination coming back here. So, Mary, I made the decision at the end of a three-day fast to come back here. And do you know what God has done in this time? If I just had to unfurl one word over this time, it's building very personally, you have helped me build my family. Uh, when Mary Ruth and I came here, here's what we looked like in 1981. Aww. 
you're supposed to say, Jay, you hadn't even changed. Well, okay, my hair was a little darker. Now, here's what we look like today. You've helped me build my family. My family now went from 2 to 15. And, and do you know what I rejoice in? The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that the greatest joy is when your children walk in the truth of God. You see, the Lord, through you, through our partnership together, He has helped us create champions for Christ. I'm four for four on my kids who own their faith. They love the Lord. They're walking with Him. They're serving Him at a deep level. And, and you've been part of that. You taught them in the nursery when they were in Sunday school, when they were in RAs and GAs. They, everyone came to Bible drill here. You see, we had the sanctified common sense of realizing that for our parenting, we needed your partnership. And when we had youth ministers and children's ministers and every kind of minister, they helped us raise our kids. So if you are wise, you'll do the same. You'll bring your children here. You know what I've learned about parenting? And now grandparenting? You see, there are three phases of it. When a child is a baby, they need your protection because they're so vulnerable. As they get older, they need your provision. You're teaching them all of the basics of life. And then later, they need your partnership. As they grow into adulthood, you become their partners. You see, I'm partners with my kids in building the kingdom because you helped. And I owe you a debt I cannot begin to repay. Do you remember when Catherine had a stroke? Do you remember when Catherine was basically declared dead? She died six times on an operating table. Do you know who rallied around me? Do you know who stood beside us? You did. I went to, I went to Los Angeles 12 times that year. Did you know you funded my trips? You gave me the time away. Man, I owe you all more than I can say. So I'm just here to say we, we need Jesus and we need each other, don't we? Because we build our families together. Now, I'm not against sports. I'm not against travel ball. But if you're trading that for building a child up in Jesus, you're making a bad trade. Because sports is a good recreation. It's a poor God. It will not serve you well at the end of the day. So bring your children to a place like this because you will build your family here. We're not here just to entertain you. We're here to equip you to become kingdom changers. Now, we built some buildings together. <laughs> you know we built $40 million worth of buildings? And do you know how much we owe on them? Zero. We paid them all in three years. That's an applause line. Oh, yeah, that's good. That's incredible. That's God's grace to His glory. An old downtown church between the federal courthouse and the Montgomery jailhouse collecting up $200 million in the last few years to do kingdom activity and to build a bigger place for the kingdom, that's incredible. We did it together to His glory. And we got one more to build. That, that's why I have on your outline this picture. This is my parting gift to the church. Because that old building across the street will be an albatross around the neck of the future if we don't replace it. I mean, I'm just telling you the straight of it. That's why uh, I didn't have a natural pull to go build this last building. It would be hard, and it would be expensive, and I'm, gonna, I, I'm given a big check for it. We could have skipped that, but it's that important to the future of our church, so I need you behind it, and we're going to see it to the finish line. So we've built together. We've built the kingdom. We've sent thousands of people beyond Montgomery. We've sent people into the worst neighborhoods in Chisholm. We had 11,000 people come to our community ministries here last year because from our neighborhoods to the nations, we are building the kingdom of God together. Praise the Lord. 
But now we're not going to stop there because here is the temptation. Go to number two, the temptation. You see, Paul issues a warning. If you're not careful, your past will create a captivity and hurt your future. If you allow your past to be an anchor, it will stop your progress. Your past should be a sail to propel you into the future. So that's how intelligent Christ-centered people operate. They let their past propel them into the future. So Paul issues this warning saying, forgetting what lies behind. We're all tempted to rest on the accomplishments of our past. We're all tempted to say, I've done enough. It's my turn to coast and stop climbing. It's my turn to spectate and stop participating. But God doesn't give us that permission. You see, I want you to overcome that temptation. And maybe if you're analyzing your own life, you've come to that point where you have stopped climbing and you're coasting, you've stopped laboring, and you've gotten a little lazy. Look what it says in Amos 6.1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Basically, you've stopped serving the Lord. So, I've got to ask, are you, are you at this point where you have succumbed to the temptation of saying, I've done enough? Here's the key to reactivity. It's Hebrews 12. I use it every day. It's that call to keep running your race with endurance, fixing your eyes upon Jesus. That's the key. Now, let me go to number three, because if you're going to refocus, when you refocus on Jesus, He's going to give you a new vision. And it's always this renewed vision. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God has plans for us. He's got a work for us to do. He's got a future and a hope for every one of us. Uh, you know, I met a guy the other day, and his vision was so narrow-minded, I think that he could look through a keyhole with both eyes at the same time. That's a narrow vision. That's not what God wants us to have. He wants to have a kingdom vision. And this is what Paul says, I press on for the prize of the upward call of Christ. It's a call for the rest of our life to be the best of our life in kingdom service. Paul's vision was simply more, doing more for the kingdom, seeing more people come into the kingdom. It was Helen Keller, who was born in 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama, that made this astonishing statement. You know, Helen Keller, arguably one of the most famous people born ever in America, born right here in Alabama, she was born deaf and blind, and yet she eventually graduated from Harvard. She became a writer. She was propelled by her faith in the Lord. And here's how she said it, worse than a person without sight is a person without vision. So let me ask you, have you lost your vision or has it grown narrow? Has it become myopic? Maybe you've even gone blind spiritually. What is your kingdom vision? What is God calling you to do with your energies and your time? You see, it says in John 9, 4, work for the night is coming when no man can work. Friend, turn up the light on your vision and listen to what God has for you to do. He wants you to do more knowing of Jesus, Philippians 3.10. He wants you to do more growing in Jesus and showing Jesus to your world. And that brings us to the last part. Our vision leads to our mission. And here is our simple mission. Our prize is Jesus. He is the prize. And we are following 
his unchanging orders. That was Paul's passion. That was his mission, to know Christ and to make him known. And this is our job, to do what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is the non-negotiable, unchanging order of Jesus. If you've ever been to Arlington Cemetery, and I've been there many, many times, there's an astonishing place called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And every day, 365 days a year, regardless of the weather, on the hour, two soldiers converge. They meet each other, and now for decades they have said the same three words as the orders are exchanged and the guard is changed. They look at each other, and they say, orders remain unchanged. And our commanding officer, King Jesus, would look at us today and say exactly the same. Your orders remain unchanged. You are to go and make disciples of all nations because everybody counts. That is our job. That is our mission. And we will continue to do it. At First Baptist, we break it down like this. We call our mission evangelism. That's bring them in. What's next? Build them up and then send them out. Bring them in. That's evangelism. That's telling the good news of Jesus to everybody. That's going. Making disciples. That is building people up into the image of Jesus. Sending people out. That's doing ministry and missions from our neighborhoods to the nations. So that is what we do. But I want, to, want you to add one last thing in this new season, this transition season to our mission. And it's going to be intercession, cohesion, and progression. You might even write that down. Intercession. In the next 10 months, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray ourselves together as one, intercession. Pray for those who will be choosing the new leader of our church. Intercession is so important. Jesus said we're to be a people of prayer. Cohesion. Sometimes when a longtime pastor leaves, there's not cohesion, there's dispersion. People say, oh, the pastor's leaving, and especially if People tend to have adopted our culture of narcissism and consumerism, where it's all about what can you do for me instead of how can I serve you. When people wear bibs instead of aprons, when they're consumeristic and narcissistic instead of Jesus-oriented servants, there's this tendency to disperse. Now, some of that may happen. I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, our church has got deep roots, and I think people own this place. This is not a rental car. This is a place where people have bought in. This is my family. You've made this my family. Matter of fact, I can't even imagine leaving Montgomery in this church because you're my family. That, that'd be like leaving my blood kin. Actually, y'all are closer to me than my blood, clean, my blood kin. So I am here. You're stuck with me like gum on your shoe. I'm going to be hard to scrape off because I love you. So I think this should be a time of cohesion when we tighten up and we take care of each other because we need Jesus and we need each other. But I think it's also going to be a time of progression. You see, the temptation when there's a transition of leadership is for there to be a slowing down. No, there's going to be a speeding up. I'm going to make you a personal pledge. I, I'm a very evangelistic person. I believe in going out and getting people. I'm about to double it. I, I'm about to go, go nuts. Because I believe in this church. I believe in who we are and what we need to be doing. It hasn't changed. The leadership has not changed because the leader is Jesus. 
and people don't join a pastor, they join God's purpose and God's people. So we need to dig in and not back up, but let's go forward. We're not going to go backwards. We're going to surge forward together. Amen? Are y'all with me? Well, this is what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to a season of intercession, cohesion, and progression. So here's your invitation. Would you make that last note? Pressing on by responding to God's invitation. The invitation is very simple for you to stop snoring and start soaring. <laughs> for you to quit spectating and start participating. Work for the night is coming when no man can work. Let me translate that. Mean, that means you're going to die. And in heaven, you're not going to have any work to do. So while you got a little time left on earth, let's get busy. Let's do God's work. There's a famous tombstone in Chicago, and here's how it reads. He danced under the moon. He slept under the sun. He lived a life of going to do and died with nothing done. Let's learn from that mistake. Let's put it all on the line. Let's hear Jesus say again, work for the night is coming and make an eternal difference as you live and work for me. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you. Thank you for this very special time and season in the life of our beloved church. This is your church. It exists for your glory and for our good, for the privilege of serving you. Thank you for sharing worship with us. We trust God has used this broadcast for your spiritual growth and encouragement. If this ministry has touched your life, please let us know. If you'd like to share in the cost of this broadcast, you may send your gifts and support to First Baptist Church. Your partnership with us will help strengthen and extend this ministry and will be greatly appreciated. And remember, when you are at the crossroads, follow Christ.